Jacob, th thank you so much for joining us today. As we start, can you say a few words about what uh, about your current role and what's in your purview? Yeah, Misha, really appreciate you uh, having me on today. I'm currently a strategic account director over at Three Tree Tech. Um, we're a firm that does things a bit different. We're not a VAR and MSP. We, and, you know, I can go deeper into our model, what we do, different and how. But essentially, my job is I'm a connector of people at the root of it, and you know, I go for new business. I, I introduce people over for various relationships. And, you know, I'm always looking to serve both the customer and partner community um, on both sides. I understand. I understand. So, and on the one side, you have technology and cybersecurity vendors. On the other side, you have CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and you're kind of in the middle and you're bridging that gap, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, um, that paints the picture of where you are now, but for us to get an idea of the trajectory of your career, can you say maybe a few words? How, how did you get into technology in general, kind of in cybersecurity aspect of it in particular? Yeah. So, I mean, I first got introduced uh, to security and not the nicest way, but when I was younger, about 12, 13, I was really into gaming. And so I played Call of Duty a lot and I got good enough to the point where I started to have some sponsors and I was in major league gaming. And after a certain point there, I remember there was a specific instance where I beat someone who was trash talking and then they ended up DDoSing me. And that was my first introduction to being like, okay, wow, what just happened? You know, why is nothing working for me, you know, from a device perspective? And so I started to kind of getting into that world of trying to understand what happened, how did it happen, et cetera. And really though, my my dive into security from a business perspective happened after I joined 3Tree Tech. Interesting, interesting. Uh, it's it's amazing. Uh, sometimes you you find, you you uh, read news. I think there was a team in the UK uh, that accessed I don't know, the highest echelons of uh, uh, power, basically the, the government agencies, and and they're basically like fifteen year olds, seventeen year olds with a lot of time on their hands, with in depth understanding and knowledge and 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 guts to 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 deploy tag that's really kind of high end it's a i think there is no uh there's no stopping someone who's really dedicated and and fully focused it does and age it sounds like it doesn't matter anymore yeah i mean and people are creative too and another thing is that when you're defending you have to be right i see a quote all the time all over linkedin that resonates that's you know when you're a defender you have to be right 100% of the time but when you're an attacker you just have to get it right once so it's a good point it's a good point the weakest link Hundred um, percent. It's interesting, and so it sounds like. And you, uh, do you have a sweet spot in terms of the company sizes or industries, or is it mostly SMB, mid-size enterprise, is it government, education, healthcare? What kind of, uh, maybe all of the above uh, that you help figure out the tech stack, figure out the uh, cybersecurity toolbox. Yeah, so primarily like our sweet spot for clients is 500 million through 5 billion in annual revenue. And so we have lots of customers that are bigger than that. But once you start going a lot bigger than that, uh, procurement tends to be a, a bit of a nightmare of a process. And so with our unique model, it's not always the friendliest to us. Um, and then SMB, you know, if they're, if they're local or if they're in one of our hub cities, whatnot, we're always, we're always happy to help out. Um, just mm -hmm. it's harder to justify travel for sometimes smaller accounts. Of course, of course, it makes sense. Well, it sounds like you have a very broad, from where you said, you see a lot of things, both in terms of industries and company sizes, and both in terms of different technologies. Um, I'm curious, because, I mean, I attend conferences, I go to RSA, I go to Black Hat, 
-hmm. And it sounds like, at least on the cybersecurity end of things, some of the messaging blurs a little bit and also companies are pressured for growth and they tend to kind of stick their elbows out and and go into their competitors territory and and um, and on the one hand on the other hand we talk to practitioners and oftentimes they are stretched thin and their teams are very uh, very kind of stretched as well uh, they're managing anywhere from a couple dozen to 50, sometimes to a hundred different vendors. And it, it just, there are endless dashboards with endless flashing signals and, and thousands, if not tens of thousands of alerts with kind of a, a problem. How do you prioritize among vendors? How do you make sure they interoperate? Uh, it, it all becomes kind of a big challenge. These are some of the things that we're seeing, uh, we're seeing, but I'm just wondering from your perspective, seeing in the middle of this uh, kind of universe, both on the technology side and the vendor side, what are some of the top two, three big uh, themes or big threats that are probably top of mind for practitioners right now? Okay, so I feel like that question went a few different areas, but you know, it, I think it starts with there's a big influx of capital coming into the cyber community. And as a result, there's a lot of new companies from all over the world, you know, a lot in Israel, et cetera, that are coming to fruition and people trying to identify niche problems. And what that has led to is a lot of noise um, for better or worse. And so it's a crowded seller's market. There's a lot of people trying to elbow their way in and figure out any way to stand out. Um, and then also it's really hard for the practitioners to you know, then sift through everything. They don't have the time to look at all of the available solutions for every problem that they have. And so, you know, they're going to go through their trusted channels, whether that's a, you know, a selling partner or whether that's their, you know, buddy that works over at a similar size company. Um, I feel like there's, there's a lot of noise in the industry right now and helping to bridge that gap is something that we've seen a lot of success in. Um, in terms of, Another issue that I think practitioners encounter is that sometimes the tech can seem really impressive and there, there can be a lot of bold claims and promises made, but sometimes they'll bring the technology providers will bring the A team to the sale. And once the sale's done, they're not bringing the A team to implementation and day two support. And that's really where you start to make a name for yourself and get referrals, et cetera, within, within this community. Because if you're, if you're not delivering well, then you're not going to, um, you know, have a good brand reputation. Interesting. It's it's interesting that you mentioned that. I, um, it's almost like advertising is glossy pictures and uh, high quality, but once you're in, here's the manual, tiny font, black and white, off you go. Exactly. Uh, so it's it's really it. It sounds like it's underinvested, which is very actually very interesting. But uh, fr from that perspective, we see. Some of the larger companies, vendor companies are very acquisitive, like you know, Palo Alto Networks, Checkpoint, Rubrik. Uh, almost every week, every other week, they're they're just snapping up another you know, BCD round company, which makes me wonder, I mean, is, is the world going towards kind of a unified dashboard? Uh, probably not a good analogy, but kind of a unified solution with one vendor or a handful of very few vendors that provide the 360 degree approach so that instead of managing 50 relationships, 60 relationships, a CISO would have one or two or three maybe relationships yeah. 
to to manage where they they provide pretty much the entire coverage of all uh, I don't know. I think that in theory, that would be great, right? It makes procurement a lot easier. You don't have to get a bunch of different people on an approved vendors list, depending on the size of your company you're at. Um, but in practice, it doesn't always go well. Um, there's a lot of acquisitions being made. And, you know, typically the first year, maybe 18 months of the acquisition, you know, it still feels like a startup. They're still innovating at the same pace. But once they're fully integrated into these, you know, 800 pound gorillas of companies, um, they start to encounter a lot of red tape and we start to see a lot of their innovation starting to slow. Um, integrations aren't always ha- um, handled properly. And I mm-hmm. feel like we see a lot of really interesting disruptive technologies kind of becoming shells of themselves post-acquisition. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that you know, down the road, we could see a shift and there could be a somewhat a consolidation, but I don't think it's going to be through a, cer- a specific technology provider. I think that consolidation down the line might happen through partners that have access to a variety of solutions um, and can help them kind of distill through what's real and what's not. Um, because ultimately, we're, we're just not seeing that the, the ideal kind of state coming to what's reality at this point. So it sounds like it's going to be almost like a Salesforce um, ecosystem with vendors who plug in. They're, they're separate companies, but they kind of play in their world. They're interoperate with a solution. And maybe there'll be a few big players that will, will be left standing and the remainder of the world will interoperate with one or the other, or maybe, maybe all of them. But there'll be probably a handful of uh, kind of large scale providers, they offer just about everything from firewalls to training to endpoints to pen testing to and everything. In, in a lot of in a lot of the commoditized areas where maybe there's it's like stagnant, where you know when you're talking about like big carriers, for example, and you're talking about networks, right? And if you're talking about firewalls, you know, if there's like an area that there isn't a ton of innovation within, then yeah, that can make sense for having a one stop shop going to someone if there's not a significant um, tech uh, reason to go somewhere else. If they're all pretty much uh, the same in terms of features, and the only difference really is price, then you know that definitely would make sense for all of those commoditized types of technologies to be gobbled up into one big entity uh, or a couple big entities with, within a respective industry, mm-hmm. who then can kind of give you like flavor A, flavor B, flavor C, and here's the price difference, and you kind of pick. But I think that in terms of disruptive solutions that are looking to either create an emerging space or redefine how a space is done today. That's not, they require a certain level of agility that isn't uh, at least in my opinion, possible in a lot of these big companies. I see. I understand. That makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Um, Well, I think you have a very unique position where you kind of, you sit between the two worlds and the one uh, kind of buyers of technology and vendors of technology. So I think you have a very unique perspective on how both people in both worlds, how they think. And uh, oftentimes we find that you mentioned that a lot of vendors, they're very um, aggressive growth targets. They're very well funded. There was a lot of pressure to grow. You see um, VPs of sales, it's almost like a revolving door at some of the organizations, the chief marketing officers. So they clearly under a lot of pressure to perform. At the same time, the professionals, the executives are under pressure as well. 
they're under pressure because there was a lot more scrutiny from uh, regulatory authorities. SAC is now is mandating that everyone needs to report within four days if they had a breach. So they, the screws are tightening. At the same time, a lot of companies are, are anticipating a recession. They're kind of tightening the, the budgets. Uh, they're under pressure as well. It's almost like a pressure cooker on both sides of side of things, and which creates like a very sometimes challenging uh, way to build this relationship because vendors are incentivized for uh, uh, to kind of push for transactions for quick wins. They go from first conversation to sign deal in the shortest amount months of time. Uh, but CISOs and and other uh, executives on on the buyer side, they want they need help. They want they they're looking for a relationship. They look for someone they can trust, and not someone who's going to leave in six months and then they'll be the one left uh, holding the bag. What is your advice for both the vendors um, and, and practitioners? What would be some of the ways that they could? From your from your from your perspective, what what can they do uh, to kind of make their life easier, better? What would be your advice, suggestion? Well, like something pretty general is just you know people buy from people, right? And so you got to have a certain level of trust, and not only that your product can do what it says it can do, that it can deliver, but also that you're a good guy that someone or person that someone wants to do business with. Um, and the speed at which you can create that trust is a challenge for a lot of these vendors when they have these heavy quotas hanging over them. So they're, they're getting pressure from top down to execute this. And maybe they're trying to do the right thing by the customer, but now lo and behold, you know, if they don't hit their target, they're going to face some consequence. So they're creating artificial urgency, like buy now to save this percent, you know, and then that kind of harms the relationship. Cause then it's like, is this real or is this just cause you need a sale? And I think that, you know, what it comes down to from, from, a CISO perspective or like from, from like a, from a practitioner perspective is that you just got to network. You got to get to know the industry. You got to get to know people, you know, get to know people that you like, you trust that are respected or knowledgeable within the industry. You got to sometimes, you know, lean on the webs of your network for, for, for shortcutting the process of who are you, who do you know in the space? Who's impressing you? Who's why who can give you kind of like a high level view. Cause if you're, you know, if you're in the weeds all day, you know, dealing with the, thousands of alerts that are coming your way, you're not going to have the time to be fully up to date on every area of security because there's so many these days. Um, and then from a vendor perspective, you know, and I guess this could be for practitioners as well Is like, you know, build your personal brand. Um, it's a lot easier to seem credible if people see you interacting with other people that they trust in their network. It's kind of like a, a little web of social proof. So building your own personal brand, maybe uh, offering resources, writing interesting things about uh, topics that are relevant to you, like making it so that, you know, your, your presence online isn't bound or beholden to one product. Cause I mean, let's be honest, a lot of these sellers, you know, they hop around and so do the practitioners. So, you know, kind of making your whole LinkedIn tied to one specific company isn't always the best route, whereas more make it about what's your mission in, in cyber? What are what are your goals? Are you a continuous learner? What what did you hear about recently that was interesting? You know, ask your network what they think. You know, I think create a creating an open dialogue where people want to interact with you and want to hear your opinion is the quickest way to achieve those conversations that as a seller you're looking for. Makes a lot of sense, I think, because it's if if you're known in the industry as credible, knowledgeable, and generous with your time, and you're focused on giving without asking, I think that that's 
probably what a lot of people either a too busy to build that or not properly incentivized on the vendor side to build something like this. I think uh, if you had something like this, it would go a long way for sure. Uh, I want to I want to pull on one of the threads uh, on some of the things that you mentioned uh, on kind of the prol proliferation of tools. And particularly, it seems like uh, Gartner, again, every other month, they come up with a new abbreviation and a new two by two quadrant. So, and a new crop of companies that they can place around and like uh, up and to the right. And it seems um, some of it obviously kind of makes a lot of sense as technology evolves and matures. Uh, it makes a lot of sense kind of to, to, to splinter kind of one big tree into branches and whatnot. But at some point uh, I'm starting to wonder is it is it kind of almost made up? Probably not the right word, but but it's contrived. Um, and again, it's again it, it um it's a it's a view of someone outside looking in. And I'm just wondering mm -hmm. for somebody who's got deep in the uh, deep in the woods, both with practitioners and vendors. Uh, what do you think about that? Is it uh, yet another abbreviation? Yet another uh, quadrant? Is it something? Is it something will there will be never ending as technology evolves, or um, you think at some point there'll be some sort of consolidation? Yeah, and I, I don't want to dish on Gardner too much, but because what I think they're doing is super important in the space, they're helping you know, people from both sides of the aisle make sense of what's going on in the space when, you know, the rate of innovation is so fast that it can be easy to get left behind and not know, you know, what is, you know, what's really going on today. And, you know, obviously it's tough when there's a huge uh, surge of new acronyms that you have to relearn and understand the space, especially when they potentially like different vendors can all use different acronyms that all mean the same thing. It's just mm -hmm. their own proprietary products version of it. Um, I think that there's going to be ebbs and flows of expansion where, you know, lots of new tech comes out and then you figure out that a lot of these new startups can end up being a feature of maybe someone bigger rather than being a standalone product. And so seeing a slight consolidation. So I think the continuous kind of like expansion of vendors out to market and then shrinkage as you know, acquisitions happen and back and forth, that's going to be something that we continue to see. But one inherent flaw with Gardner is their pay to play model um, because there's going to be a lot of earlier stage companies and other companies that maybe it's just against their code of ethics that they don't feel like it's right to buy their place within a quadrant. Um, sure. So I think that's one inherent flaw with how Gart how Gartner goes about doing what they do with the placements in the in the quadrants. But I do think that the overall concept of what they're trying to achieve is very positive um, for the community. For sure, for sure. No, it's 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 interesting. I just sometimes it's difficult to to um, to discern intent. Is it truly new tech, or is it just the company wants to create its own category and claim it as, and 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 crown itself as the leader and the champion? Uh, rather than kind of play in the bigger pool and just be different and, and be better, not different, which is still a different uh, different game, different proposition against some of the bigger players, players more established, uh, better brand recognition and, and bigger budget. So it's it's obviously, I mean, Gartner is uh, it's a behemoth in the industry in the industry, and mm -hmm. uh, but sometimes it, it feels well. I guess I guess in the end of the day, uh, it sounds like. Um, the industry will, in the end of the day, there'll be somewhat fewer players because some of them will be acquired. Some of them 
will go by by the sideline. So one way or another, there will be some consolidation. So at, at least on, on the number of vendors, maybe not necessarily in the quadrants. Um, that's interesting. I, again, I'm, I'm curious, um, switching gears a little bit, imagine if you had a crystal ball and you can see into the future, I know, 12 months from now, maybe a couple of years from now, from the practitioner perspective, will be some of the themes, technologies, uh, threat vectors that everyone will be obsessed about and, th- and talking about? Mm. I really think that uh, identity is going to be the, the future of, of security um, as, as socio-engineering becomes more, more and more prevalent, like it already is. And there's, there's a lot of ways to secure your system, but ultimately it comes down to controlling who has access to what. And I think that um, that is going to be, you know, the constant cat and mouse game of, you know, what level of privileges can, can these attackers acquire? Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different directions and a lot of different vectors that people can go through, but um, I kind of foresee that that I mean I don't know. There's there's so many ways I could go with this this question because there's so many spaces and and then you know there's so many zero days that are exploiting little tiny niches that come out of the blue. Um, I think another thing to consider is just that um, kind of considering the seasonality of attacks and how you know threat actors will kind of wait for their time and their moment to attack like in mid revenue cycle, like for example, like attacking a retailer during like Christmas season, right? I think we're gonna see a much bigger emergence of, of you know, seasonally based attacks, which is gonna be both a pro and a con, cause you know, it's gonna be, you know, it's gonna cause a huge business disruption. But I think ultimately whenever there's like private equity firms or whenever there's shareholders involved, a lot of times they don't care until it affects the bottom line. And I think that it might result in the industry as a whole as they start to see these these actors causing more disruption during their, you know, their pivotal moments of revenue. Uh, I think it's going to start getting even more importance. Like we're already seeing a shift in who the CISO reports to, whether it's, you know, used to be to the CIO, but now it's either the CFO or chief of risk, you know, chief legal, chief risk, CEO, maybe the board, et cetera. I think that there's going to be an elevation, a continuous elevation of of the importance of cyber because at the end of the day, it's a war. And as we're seeing different nation states, you know, battle it out. And throughout that process, they spend a lot of money and continue to innovate that our our private sector is going to start to see some of the uh, innovation that is due to some of this warfare happening around the world. And it might lead to some some more significant attacks on a lot of the more recognizable brands. Certainly. And I, I think the most recent one, I'm not sure if you saw Las Vegas is under attack and uh, the slot machines are. Not, and that's not- extra terrifying. Cause you know, we were just over at black hat over, over there, you know, there's yeah. a lot of security professionals out there. I mean, not that anyone there is going to necessarily connect to a public network, but um, you know, they have formula one coming up and they have other things that have like electronic devices in there that, you know, could be a, know catastrophic loss of life if if there's a a cyber attack during it so uh, you know to your point you know it's those those headline moments that i think will start to continue to validate the importance of this industry and hopefully spur some more action by executives and rather than you know looking at security as a potentially cuttable cost 
during hard times of revenue, but it's been seen as like, you know, necessary to protect your business overall. And without it, you know, you'll crumble. I think it's extremely important because I think there's still, even though there is more uh, awareness and understanding from the board level investors, uh, senior executives, uh, CEOs, CEOs, but I think still it's not everywhere. And still some people just think of cybersecurity as a thin layer that they can just spread over the organization and, and, hope they can sleep okay but that i don't think it's the case anymore it's, i think it's to your point uh the profile of CISOs need to be elevated they need to report to ceo and they need to get m- much more exposure and, and adequate resources to uh protect against threats because the uh, the threats are formidable for sure uh jacob i thank you for sharing your perspective it was really uh, very insightful very interesting i i thank you so much for taking time for this where can people find you whether cybersecurity vendors who just uh, would want to get to know get to know your value proposition or CISOs who may need help in selecting some of the technologies? Yeah, I would say that the best way to connect with me would be on LinkedIn. Uh, it's Jacob Friedman, you know, as, as shown on the screen, you mm-hmm. know, happy to have a conversation with anyone, um, you know, or if you see someone in my network that you want to, you know, bridge the gap to and be connected to, let me know. I'm I'm always happy to be a connector of people because at the end of the day that's what i do is i like to connect interesting people to have interesting conversations um so yeah that's where you can find me absolutely thank you so much awesome thanks misha